Judaism, in addition to what we eat, the Torah tells us what you're allowed to eat, what you're not allowed to eat, how we work, how we interact with other people, how we treat other people. The Torah also has mitzvahs of how we dress. Now, there is a mitzvah that we once spoke about um, called tzniyot, which is to dress in a modest way. And um, there are rules about this. We did a class about this some time ago. But we're not going to focus on those rules for today. Rather, today we're going to focus on another rule with regard to our clothing, which is a prohibition. The Torah in this week's parasha and earlier in the book of Leviticus, the Torah tells us that we are prohibited from wearing shatnes. What is shatnes? So the Torah then details it. We are prohibited from wearing a mixture of wool and linen. So clothing that is a mixture of wool and linen. We are both prohibited from wearing clothing that has wool and linen or any form of comfort that it can give us, including sitting on a chair of wool and linen, lying on a mattress of wool and linen, sitting on a carpet or um, mat that is made of wool and linen are all forbidden. Now, why... Before we get to the questions, let me go a little further, then you can start asking questions about it. Now, why did God prohibit this? So, the Torah, when it speaks about the prohibition of not mixing wool and linen, it begins with the words, as chukotai tishmaru, keep my chukim. Chok is one of three words that the Torah uses, or uses for the commandments. Um, Sometimes the commandments are called chok, Sometimes they're called mishpat, which literally means judgment. And sometimes they're called law. And sometimes they're called edot, which means testimony. And our sages say that there are really three different types of mitzvot, three different types of commandments. There are some commandments that are societal commandments that help us with society, help us build a successful society, mostly interpersonal, how we treat each other. Then there are ritual commandments that are... There are rituals that we understand how they are symbolic, symbolize something, such as eating matzah on Passover to remember the Exodus, or um, keeping Shabbat to remember how God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And then there are mitzvahs, there are commandments that we don't have a reason for. God didn't tell us why. And so those commandments are usually called chukim. When God commands us with this commandment of mixing wool and not wearing a mixture of wool and linen, the Torah begins with the words, as chukotai tishmaru, guard my chukim. In other words, the Torah is classifying this as a chok, as a mitzvah that does not have a reason why we should do that. Does that mean there is no reason? Not necessarily. Not necessarily there is no reason. However, the... um, there, there, um, however, we don't, ne- we don't know the reason or there's no obvious reason for it. Um, but Maimonides actually says that all mitzvot still do have a reason. Um, so commentaries have over the years suggested reasons for shatnes, maybe not reasons that are entirely adequate, but they have suggested reasons. Maimonides suggests that idolatrous, idolatrous priests in Biblical times, the days of Moses, would wear vestments that were made of mixtures of wool and linen. And therefore, it is part of God's attempt to separate us from idolatry. Now, the truth is, whenever Maimonides in his book, Guides the Perplexed, Moran Nebuchim, is 
perplexed about the reason for a mitzvah, he usually, this is his default. It must be that this is what the idol worshippers used to do and God is trying to separate us from them. That doesn't explain why, once we no longer live among pagans, that mitzvah is still relevant. Um, and it clearly is not a entirely a valid reason. Um, others say that it reminds us of the feud between Adam's two sons, Cain and Abel. Adam originally had two sons before his third son was born, Cain and Abel, Cain and Heaven. Cain, we're told, was a farmer. And he offered flax, as which flax is the source of linen. He offered flax as a sacrifice to God. Abel, Hevel, was a herdsman who offered his best sheep as a sacrifice. When Cain offered flaxseed, flaxseed is not very good quality um, or not the best, um, not the best um, of one's grain, of one's um, plantings. And so therefore God accepted Abel's Hevel sacrifice, but did not accept Cain's sacrifice. Cain was jealous, and so he um, went and killed his brother Hevel, his brother Abel. And so to commemorate this incident, we are told not to mix wool, which comes from sheep, and linen, which comes from flaxseed. So what exactly is... So that's a possible reason. We don't ultimately know what the reason for this prohibition is, but we are prohibited from wearing clothing that has wool and linen. What exactly is forbidden? So only sheep's wool, coming from sheep... And flaxseed linen, linen that comes from flaxseed, are forbidden. It's a type of material. Um, flaxseed is a kind of plant, and um, the linen is what comes from it. And only linen coming from flaxseed and wool coming from sheep is what is forbidden to mix. Other materials, including cotton, cashmere, hemp, silk, polyesters, all of those are fine to wear if they are mixed with wool or mixed with linen. We're only forbidden from wearing wool, sheep wool and linen from flaxseed. Yes? So is the prohibition against a fabric that is a mixture or is there a prohibition let me against... Let, let, let me get to it. So we're not allowed to wear any mixture between the two. Now, the Talmud tells us that the word shatnez is a very unusual word that we use to describe this mixture. And the Talmud says it's an acronym for the words shua, tavi, naz. Said fast together, shua, tavi, naz becomes shatnez. What does shua, tavi, naz mean? Shua means combed, tavi <coughs> means spun, and naz means twisted. So when you make thread, if anyone's in the thread spinning business, um, you essentially, you start with fibers. So you cut the wool off the sheep, or you um, get the fibers from the flaxseed, or from the cotton, or whatever it is. You start with fibers. And then you um, first have to comb those fibers through very fine combs, in order to take off any dirt and to take out any knots that are in the, or, um, knots in the fibers. Then you spin those fibers to be, make very, very thin threads. They use spinning wheels, um, which spins the fibers very, very quickly, and that way they um, spin into a thread that holds together. That thread, though, is going to be very soft and weak and will break very easily. 
What they then do is they take multiple threads, and you could do this in your sewing kit. If you take a thread and you twist it, you'll see that there's actually usually a few threads inside. So they take multiple threads, thin threads, and then they twist those, then they, they twist those together to make a thicker thread. So those are the three stages in making threads. So only threads made with those three stages of being combed, spun, and twisted, only those are forbidden when you make wool with those threads and linen with those threads, whether they're both in the same thread or they're in, um, or they're in, um, or you have a thread of wool and a thread of linen. When you twist them, when you have these threads, you're not allowed to mix them in the garment. However, if you have, um, if you have um, things that are just material that's just pressed, um, such as felt, something that is not actually spun and um, made into threads, then we don't have the prohibition of shotnays. So the shotnays would be any material that has threads of wool and threads of linen in it or any material that has threads spun from a mixture of wool and linen that would fall under the prohibition of shotnays. Yes? So if you had a linen skirt and a wool sweater... I'm going to get to that in a moment. Very good. Okay. Okay. So, all right, let me jump and I'm going to deal with that then. So... Um, so what about wearing two different items of clothing? So it depends. If, if you can take off one piece of clothing without taking off the other, then that is just fine. So if you have a wool sweater and a um, linen pants, a linen skirt, you are fine. If, however, they are one, you cannot take off one without taking off the other, such as you have a linen shirt with a wool sweater on top of it where you can't take off your shirt without taking off the sweater, then that is forbidden. Again, if you have two items of clothing that you can take off one without the other, then you can't take off a shirt without taking off your sweater. It would be very difficult. It would be very difficult. Yes. You can't take off your shirt without taking off your sweater. We did it. Okay. It's not that difficult. Depending, yes. Okay. Yeah, but you can take off your sweater without Right, but you need to be able to take off both each one without the other. Otherwise, it is forbidden. But a top and bottom is fine. Um, or socks and top is also fine. Um, so we're also forbidden. So generally, we have to be careful that the clothing that we have don't have a mixture of wool and linen. Now, the Talmud told us that there were certain materials in Talmudic times that were indistinguishable from wool and from um, wool or linen. Um, the Talmud mentioned that silk was indistinguishable from linen. Today, and the, the Talmud is referring to a rough kind of silk that you normally would not get. Um, that they would use back then, um, raw silk. Um, today, silk is usually very fine and um, doesn't look anything like linen, which is somewhat rough. Um, raw silk. Does, I believe this, it still looks very different. Um, but, 
Okay, but there are types of silk that are not widely in use that do look like linen. Um, a greater issue today is a material called ramy, which comes from apparently the ramy plant. Um, it's apparently a plant like the hemp plant that you can make material from that is visibly indistinguishable from linen. Um, the fibers are made up from almost the exact same things, and there's no almost. It's very very difficult even in a lab to distinguish between the two, and as a result, um, the checkers who we'll soon talk about cannot distinguish between them and neither and often the um, sellers because as we'll soon see there's a lot of fraud in the clothing business um, the sellers will often mislabel um, the two as well so in addition to not wearing anything that has a mixture of silken uh, of sorry wool and linen we also wool from sheep only cashmere which comes from goats um, or camel hair or other kinds of wool is fine. Um, linen only that comes from the flaxseed plant, everything else is fine. Um, in addition to not wearing it, we are also forbidden from sitting on a chair that has a cushion, that is chatnays lying on a sheet uh, or mattress that has chatnays, that has a mixture of wool and linen in it. Now, for much of Jewish history, this was a concern. This mitzvah is one of our 613 commandments that applies to all people at all times. Um, and so, therefore, we had to be careful about it. And so we would always be careful that our clothing would not be made of a mixture of wool and linen. It wasn't a very big deal to worry about because most Jews lived in a Jewish community where there were usually Jewish tailors. So you would go usually to a Jewish fabric, the way they used to get clothing before they had Macy's, or I should say before they had Amazon. The way they used to get clothing once upon a time is you would go to a fabric um, maker and you would purchase fabric from them. And then you would go to your local tailor and they would size you up and they would make the clothing for you. Everything was um, custom made. You couldn't get commercial, commercially made clothing. And so you would make sure the fabric that you bought was not made of a mixture of wool and linen. You would buy it from a Jewish fabric maker um, whom you could trust. There was no mixture in it. And then you would take it to the tailor and if it was a wool fabric or a linen fabric, you would, the Jewish tailor would know not to use the other kinds of thread and not to make a mixture. And so it really was not that big, a big of a deal throughout much of our history. Um, it was a concern with look-alike, like you said, the silk, types of silk, um, was a concern. Sometimes there were people who tricked the system, sold the wrong thing that they could get for cheaper, um, and pretended it was something else. So you've got to be careful with that. But it was pretty straightforward. Um, however, like other things, particularly like the food business, which as it became more commercial, it became a greater concern, the same thing also happened with the clothing business. The first major issue that we had was actually back in the 19th century. The early 19th century, the discovery was made that most coach cushions in Europe um, at the time were made of, they were woolen materials made with linen fibers as well to keep them hard. Linen's a very tough material. It's able to kind of keep it, give it a certain um, hard texture. So their most cushion seats were made of wool and linen. And so that would be a problem for Jews that wanted to travel by coach. 
from town to town. They would be, instead of buses, before they had cars, they would travel by coach. Um, it was a concern. Not only that, they also discovered that many trains were also using the same cushions that were made of a mixture of wool and linen. This was a great debate in the early 19th century among European Jewish scholars as to whether this is a concern. Um, the consensus was that it was of no concern since it was the cushions were usually made of very hard, rough material, and the prohibition is only sitting on soft material. If it's hard material, there is no prohibition. Um, with time, though, thankfully, those materials change. However, by the late 19th century, um, and definitely in the early 20th century, um, the clothing um, that were purchased, no longer did people go to fabric makers and their local tailors in their local village to make them clothing, but you actually could go to a clothing store being made commercially by um, in factories and then being sold in stores and clothing stores started popping up. So how do you know what is in those clothing that you buy in the store? How do you know that there's no mixture of wool and linen? This is similar to our food problem. As long as you are making food at home, you have nothing to worry about. Once you buy food that is processed, how do you know what's in the food, right? So as we mentioned when we did the class a couple weeks ago about food, we mentioned that they needed an industry arose of um, kosher food checkers or certifiers that certify the food is kosher. So with clothing, um, the, another solution was uh, came up firstly before I get to the solution. Clothing tend to have materials listed in the tag. Um, most countries now, and already for 100 years, have regulations that require that all the materials that are used in the clothing be listed in the tag so that you know what you're buying. You know what sort of clothing it is. Um, most, uh, also in case there are people have allergies, but also so you know that you, they're honest about what you're, they're selling. Um, however, However, um, repeated testing has shown, and this remains true today, that most labels, even on brand name things, are inaccurate. There is very little testing. In other words, the regulatory regimes don't really, unlike food, where they're regularly testing the food to make sure that they are accurately labeled, they do not regularly test clothing to make sure they are accurately labeled. So very often the thing that you are buying that is 100% wool or 100% cotton is neither. Um, and they're not made up of what they are. And um, in fact, the shotness testers can tell you what they are made up of, and they are very often inaccurate. So, oh, I just lost it again. Hold on a second. Guys, for that. Um, so, so, in the 19th century, there rose up an industry of shotness checkers. Shotness checkers are people who learned to check what's in the clothing. Now, in addition to the um, clothing, the materials in the tag not being accurate, they also only need to include the main parts of the clothing. Usually the outer part of the clothing and the, and, and the liner, often the liner is not even mentioned. So when you see your suit is 100% wool, When you see your when you 
when you see your um, suit is 100% wool, the lining is not usually made of wool. It's made of something else. They don't write that. Sometimes they will write what the lining is. But then in addition to the lining, there are also fillers in clothing to make them to kind of in the middle. Um, the suit jacket will always have fillers um, or many other clothing will have fillers. Uh, the pants or skirt, sorry? Sizing. Sizing, okay. They also have um, ornaments or buttons and other things. And, of course, there's the sewing, and all that can be made with different threads. So, how do you know what you wear is not shatners? So, in the 19th and early 20th century, many shatners checkers appeared in Jewish communities across Europe. Um, they used microscopes to try to identify the materials, and um, often they would be able to light the threads um, to see how they burn. Um, linen and wool, wool kind of singes up, um, and linen burns, they burn differently, and you can that way tell um, what they are. Um, some were genuine, there was also a problem in Europe of Shartlands, of um, people pretending to be shotness checkers, and um, they tested them sometimes, in other words, by giving them clothing that had shotness, and they would say it didn't have, or often the other way, they would give them clothing they knew they didn't have, and they would say it did have. Um, so this was in Europe, um, but there were definitely shotness checkers in many cities. Here in the United States, though, there was no simple solution, and most Jews simply didn't think about it. They bought clothing, they lived here, they bought clothing, and they really didn't think of shotness at all. Even though it's one of our 613 commandments, um, it never occurred to them to be concerned about it. In 1940, a Jew called Josef Rosenberger escaped Nazi-controlled Austria and came as a refugee to the United States. In Austria, he had worked in his family textile business. And so he was a religious Jew, and he knew to be careful with shotnays. And when he came here, he asked people how they knew what was in their clothing, and he was shocked to hear that they didn't. And so especially, this is, and he even went to Jewish clothing manufacturers to ask them if they knew what was in the textiles that they were putting into the clothing. And they also often didn't know or weren't certain that it was truly 100% wool or 100% whatever it was. Um, and so determined to fix things and solve things, he enrolled himself in a textile school in New York. He learned about different fabrics and um, he learned, he um, went around different textile companies to see how things were made. And what he learned is where the linen would generally, linen clothing are less common. People don't generally wear linen clothing. You can get them. Um, wool clothing are, of course, very common. Um, and wool is commonly used um, as in many different clothing. Um, but then there could be sometimes threads or sometimes parts of linen. He learned where the linen would commonly be found in wool and also how to identify different materials under microscope. He also developed a type of alkaline bleach that causes linen to turn brown, linen thread strands to turn brown. So you can see straight away if, there is, um, if, there, if the material is linen. Um, and he opened a shotness laboratory in Williamsburg, section of Brooklyn. And he began to encourage people to bring him clothe, their clothing to test, um, encourage stores um, to allow for testing in the stores, encourage manufacturers to allow for testing. 
And he would take a minimum fee because he wanted, at first it was I think only 50 cents he would take. He wanted people to keep coming. Um, so he wouldn't allow, and he wouldn't charge too much. He wanted, didn't want people to feel it was too expensive. Um, and over the years, he did this for more than 40 years, and he trained dozens of shotness testers um, to do the same thing. And over time, labs were opened in just about every major city in the United States. And today there is a, um, Josef Rosenberg was passed some years ago, but there is today an association of shotness testers that approves and certifies local shotness testers based in New Jersey. And today there are labs all across the United States and really in every Jewish community in the world, there are trained shotness testers that can test your clothing. So what is... I think there's an important thing that part of these are run by women. So this is a very activist opportunity for the Jewish women to be uh, looking into halakhic things and they're recognizing that. Anyone who wants to get shotness trained can do, go take a course, go to the New Jersey Center and take a course and get shotness trained. Thank you, Stephen. So we need to be um, careful about shotness today at all as well. The good news is that in the last few decades, um, there's been a great decrease in the use of linen. Um, linen is a somewhat expensive material to make and manufacture from flaxseed, and um, it's very expensive. And there are much, and there are better materials that we have today. With the huge selection of materials that are available, um, there are generally better materials than linen, which means that the use of linen in wool clothing has dramatically gone down. Um, so there's less and less reason to be concerned. However, shotness can still and is still found in clothing, often depending on where it comes from. Um, clothing produced in the United States are much where a wide variety of materials are widely available, are much, much less likely to have wool and linen, uh, linen in them. Um, produced in other places, uh, particularly places like Eastern Europe, are much more likely to have um, linen in them depending on where they're produced and the price of materials in the places where they're being produced. So the most common use of linen, linen are rarely, is rarely, rarely used just as threads to sew materials. The most common use of linen today in wool clothing is for stiffeners in order to harden um, clothing, which will usually be found either around the collar of a jacket um, or around the color of a shirt or blouse um, to stiffen the clothing. It can also be found along kind of the side if there's a lapel going along the side um, to stiffen the clothing or in skirts or pants at the um, top, at the waist um, will often be found there as well. Now, the reason why it's made of linen is linen is a very, very tough and hard material. And so it's a great... You, it's, it's a great and thin, and so it's great to use as a stiffener that doesn't take up too much space. And so there are better materials today, so it's not used that much. Generally, linen will only be found, because of the price of linen, it will only be found in pricier clothing. Um, and generally, jackets and shirts or pants... Um, will usually be, uh, at least the jackets will usually be among the $400, $500 range at least in order to have linen in them. The cheaper 
jackets produced in China um, generally won't have linen in them. Um, now, there are certain companies that are known to use linen. One example is the Ugg boots from Australia. They're woolen boots um, that are known to that use linen. Um, there is a Shotness lab um, here in Los Angeles. It's up on the west side. Nothing down here in the South Bay yet until Stephen trains someone. Um, but I go to the one with the ladies. He's advocating. There is a Shotness lab here on the west side of L.A., and when you buy a suit or a jacket or something that is, if it's a fully 100% polyester, you usually don't have anything to worry about. Um, but if you buy a wool jacket um, or wool pants, um, especially in the high, higher end, you definitely should have it checked to make sure there is no shotness well, in it. What about this thing with furniture? I mean, when you, wool you is rarely... Wool is rarely used today um, in furniture. Um, it once was used extensively before they had all the plastics that we have today. Um, but it is rarely your couches are not usually made of wool. Does that mean we can rely on that? Generally, yes. When Professor Robert Orman won the Nobel Prize of Economics, in 2005 for developing game theory. He had to go to Stockholm for a um, long list of um, parties and celebrations as part of the Nobel Prize winning. Um, as a observant Jew, he had some trouble. Firstly, he had to make sure that the Nobel dinner would be certified kosher. He wouldn't eat non-kosher for him and his family. He also asked them that they should not have any events on Shabbos because he was Shabbos observant, um, and they accommodated him, but he had one other problem. There were special tuxedos supplied by the noble committee that are tradition to be used at the noble ceremonies, and so he asked that all the tuxedos be checked for shotness, and so they flew in a shotness tester, because there is no shotness <laughs> tester living in Stockholm. So um, they flew in a shotness tester, who indeed discovered that the tuxedos used in the Nobel Prize ceremonies are all shotness. And so they had to send it to a, ta to a tailor and it had to be, the linen had to be removed from all the tuxedos. Generally, I should point out that most clothing that have shotness today, the shotness can easily be removed. It's usually a stiffener and you can take it out and put in another piece of material instead and it doesn't really make much of an impact of the clothing. You would never know the difference. So usually even if you find shotness, um, you can take it to a tailor, give them instructions and they can get rid of the shotness. But not if it's woven together into the fabric? It's not usually woven into the fabric. They rarely weave fabric of wool and linen today. That's not usually done. Had it woven together in the fabric? Yes, and it said it, and because the FTC uh, controls that disclosure statement, that said it very clearly, 50%. Well, 50% linen, I said, what did I just buy? Yeah, that's very rare, uh, but I guess it can happen. It can happen. Um, now, this might seem like a minor mitzvah. It's just not wearing clothing mixed of wool and linen. For anyone who wants the number to the L.A. Shotness Lab, by the way, it's 213-640-7179, or you can go online and just Google it. Um, but you've got to go up to the west side to bring your clothing there. Um, and so while this seemed like, like a minor mitzvah, 
Um, we need to be careful even about the minor mitzvahs that don't seem to make too much of a difference, including what we wear. The Talmud tells us that the great sage Rabbi Yochanan says that clothing is called mechabduta, what honors a person. In other words, a person is judged by their clothing. And so while we should not be obsessed with our clothing, obsession over clothing is never healthy, um, especially living in a society where most people have more than 20 pairs of shoes, um, it's not good to obsess over clothing, but at the same time, we have to know that clothing is a person's honor. In other words, that's the way you are perceived, and we have to be concerned about what we wear. Um, and it's important, not often people are judged by what they wear, and so therefore we should be careful not to wear clothing that makes certain statements about us. But we also, within ourselves, because our clothing is our communication to the outside world and the way people see us, it's important, even if they don't know it, to wear clothing that is kosher to make sure that it does not have shatness in it. So... Uh